This is our third message this month entitled Lost. title of our message is Lost, and we're talking out of Luke chapter 15. And, um, you know, when you, anything, anything that Jesus talked about and discussed, he always talked in parables so that people could get it. You can, you can read stories just face value in, in things that he talked about or most people in the Bible, and because they're, quote, outdated, you know, you think, well, you know, that doesn't relate to me today because I live in, in this time period. And nothing in the Bible is outdated. You just have to adjust it so that it fits in our lives and it fits to the things that we need to receive day to day. But I'm telling you, there's an answer to everything in your life on planet Earth in the Word of God. I said there's an answer for every issue on planet Earth in the Word. Amen. So today, we're talking about understanding law, the lost. And um, I've, never, I've never preached out of Luke 15 the way I'm preaching out of Luke 15 today. Uh, and, and over these last couple of messages, I've never, I've never ministered out of Luke 15 quite this way. Because God's given me some new and fresh revelations. And there's, there's three lost stories in Luke 15. And, and these three stories have to do with um, a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son. And all three stories have to do with people that are lost. But lost doesn't mean unsaved. One of, one of the lost in these three stories are not saved. Because remember, it's a parable. And, in, and we've, we've read a lot out of Luke 15 in the first three verses. But Jesus says in verse 3, So He spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep? So He's talking in a parable. How many in here today own sheep? Okay, so he's not talking to any of us, right? Yeah, he's talking to us, but he's talking in a parable, okay? And, and what is a parable? It's an example. And you have to take the story and apply it to what God wants to say. Is it twisting Scripture to take a story and make it apply to today? No. No, because Jesus did it. So we're just following his lead and his example. He did it, so we're doing it. So, if this story is about a sheep and a coin and a son, and all three of them are lost situations, what is Jesus really talking about? If you break it all down, Jesus is talking about the kingdom. And the kingdom of God is about one thing. God's kingdom, His domain, His rule is about one thing on planet earth, and it's people. He's about people. And there's one thing that God is building in the earth. There's one thing that's being built in the earth, and it's the church. 
Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Jesus is building his church, and he wants us to be about people, and he wants us to acknowledge what he left us with, and that was the Great Commission. And the Great Commission was to go and make disciples of all nations, and immersing the nations in the revelation of who Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are. That's our responsibility, because Jesus can't build the church with unrenewed people. It doesn't work. Jesus can't build the church with bitter people. How many unsaved people do you know today that are bitter, unforgiving, jealous, competitive? Jesus can't build the church with unrenewed people. He can't build the church with unrenewed people. It's like trying to mix oil and water and make it effective. You're going to mix till you can't mix anymore, and it can do nothing. The oil can't do what the oil can do, and the water can't do what the water can do. Jesus can't build the church with unrenewed people. Why do you think it's 2,000 plus years later since Jesus left? They thought he was coming back in their lifetime, the early disciples. Why do you think, why do you think that it's 2,000 plus years and he's not returned yet? And in the days past, the church has been in turmoil and bickering and fighting and competing and splitting and doing all the things that the church has done. Why? Because Jesus can't build his church with unrenewed people. People that are not doers. The Bible says if you're a hearer of the word and not a doer, then you're deceiving yourself. He can't build the church with deceptive people. People that are deceivers and deceptive and walk in deception. Jesus cannot build the church. You can build an organization. You get a bunch of people inside of a building. But it's not the church that he's building if it's unrenewed people. If we're not doing what he left us to do. Jesus left the earth with a commission and a commandment. And the commandment was to love God by learning to understand how much God loved us and then love people that way. And the commission was to make disciples. That was his one commandment, two that were one, and then his commission. Love God, love people, and make disciples. So that he could build his church that the gates of hell can't prevail against. One of the reasons that it, it's looked like, I'm, I'm, I'm talking in past tense because I believe things are changing right now. How, how many say amen? I believe it's changing now. Not ten years from now. Not when some revival comes to town. Right now it's changing because people's hearts are changing and we're learning that we can't just hear the word. We've got to do it and we've got to do it all the time. So these stories, these three lost stories have to do with groups of people. And the first one is a story, and we talked about this last week. What man of you, in verse 4, 
having a hundred sheep. So who of you that having a hundred sheep would, if you had one that strayed, would leave the one or leave the 99 and go after the one? And we talked about last week, that doesn't mean that the 99 aren't important. But going after the one is not going after somebody that is not born again. Going after the one is going after someone that's been a part of the house because we're talking parables, so we're talking here, the fold here of the sheep is the church. Somebody gets born again, they come into the church, they get all excited, everything's great, then the honeymoon's over, and then they start, well, I don't know if I like this, and I don't know if I like that, and I don't know this, and I, I'm not sure about that. And, and so in their minds, they start straying. You're in my responsibility is to help people not stray. And the only way you can do that is not be a strayer yourself. Everybody say strayer. We're going to use that word in here. <clears throat> Bad English, but you get the point. So if you're not a strayer, you can help strayers not stray. And that's the first group of people. So if all 99, or however many in the church, if all 99 are helping one not stray, what happens? Then the fold stays strong. And Jesus said right here, interesting, in these three groups, there's more joy in heaven when one person doesn't stray. Now, the next one's a lost coin. And the lost coin, I mean, it's only three verses long. That story is only three verses long. The first story is seven verses long. And this is only three verses long, and it just cuts to the chase, and it's just a lost person. And, and the Bible says there, there's joy, but there's not more joy. There's joy, but there's not more joy. There's more joy when a person doesn't stray versus someone that gets saved. Everybody say, there's joy when people get saved. But there's more joy when the person that got saved doesn't go and become some casualty in a basket case. What does it, what does it take for people not to become strayers. When non-straying people, because they've worked it out within themselves, help the next guy. With what? Offenses. Everybody say, the Bible says, say this after me, the Bible says, offenses will come. The next part of the verse says, but woe. Everybody say, whoa. But woe through who they come through. Because of what gets stirred up and started in the church. Now, if Jesus is building the church, and all of heaven is focused on the building of what Jesus, of what Jesus is doing, and yet Jesus is building the church with 
Brian and Preston and each one of us on and on and on down the, the, the rows here, in and through the row. He's building the church with each one of us. How important is it for each one of us to be right? How important is it that those things to be worked out and, and, and yet, see, in spite of each other and our differences, we've got to work it out in love. Not in harshness. Not in coming against somebody or dealing with a specific thing. But we've got to work it out in the love of God. See, because the more I know how much God loved me, the more I love God with that, but then I'm able to love people the way I know how God loved me. Man, did he forgive me. Man, has he had patience with me. My goodness, has he been forgiving for me. Wow! And how unforgiving can we be for someone else? And so people stray. There's more joy in heaven when a person doesn't stray than when a person gets saved. And I didn't say there's not joy when people get saved. How many know how awesome it is when a baby is born? But how horrible can it be when a baby is not taken care of? And that child's left to the streets. And that child's left to do whatever it wants to do. How horrible is that? In the church, it's no different. The second birth world of being born again, when a person gets born again and then left to just stray and fend, well, we don't need them. We don't need them. Well, it doesn't matter, you know, they, 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 they can't function here. They can't function here? Then this isn't what God's building. Because <laughs> God's building the church with a bunch of whacked out human beings. And you know who that is? That's you. That's, every, that's everybody. He's building the church with a bunch of wackos till we get born again that's what we are everybody say wacko before you were born again you were a wacko and soulishly in your soul you're still getting delivered of whacked out amen we're getting delivered daily soul salvation is a day-to-day thing spiritual salvation is a one-time thing I'm born again, but then I'm being born again in my soul, my mind, will, and emotions every day getting delivered of whackness. And more joy in heaven when a strayer doesn't stray. And you know whose responsibility that is? It's yours. And it's mine. It's ours. To rise up and discern and understand and work things out in ourselves and be able to judge things correctly and understand things correctly and understand what people deal with. I'm not talking about just, you know, 
supposedly walking in love and just letting people get away with everything that's going to destroy their life. I'm talking about being honest and truth, truthful and, and, and dealing with issues. That's what these two lost stories are about. So in verse 11, where we're picking up from last week, um, I just want to read from verse 11 for a, for a few verses. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, he journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. So we're still talking about the church. And here's, <clears throat> here's a son, and I'm just going to take a, a spiritual son who has been in the house for a lot of years. And he's biding his time, not really serving, just biding his time, looking for a position, looking for something that's going to work for him. It's all about him, and it's not about anybody else, but he's not real vocal about it and kind of keeps things hidden in here. And then when the time comes, then when the time comes, he's out of here. He's gotten the investment that he needed. It changed his life. It turned things around, and now, he, now he's ready to get out. And he leaves, and he goes... And it all looks good for a while. Man, it looks good. It looks good. And it looks like, man, things are happening and this is happening and whatever. And he's left the fold. And then all of a sudden, one day, famine hits. Bam! Famine doesn't just hit the land. It hits his land. And when famine hits his land, it's like Katie bar the door. It was all great. I had all this stuff. I thought all this was right. He thought too much of himself. Overestimated himself. Underestimated how his connection to the house was why he had what he had. I'm going to say it again. He overestimated himself and underestimated his connection with the house. And so he leaves and he does his own thing. And famine hits. <clears throat> And then, somewhere in that time period, the Bible says, in verse 17, look at what verse 17 says, but when he came to himself, okay, so hold that thought and look a little farther down. Verse 20. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. So verse 17 says, And when he came to himself, how does a person come to themselves? I'm going to challenge you 
with something today that maybe you've never even heard before. But I'm telling you right now that what I'm going to tell you out of this story is what all the church is built on. And until the church of Jesus Christ gets this revelation, because in Matthew 16, the church that Jesus is building is the church that people get revelation on. Jesus said, I'll build my church on this rock, the rock of revelation that Peter had, that he was the Christ and the Son of the living God. Well, throughout Scripture, you and I have to get this revelation. I'm telling you, the church is built indirectly on this revelation right here. How do people come to themselves? I believe in verse 20, it reveals to us how people come to themselves. And this is a group of people right here. Been in church life, and we're talking about the church. We're talking about church and lost people and how they relate and how this planet is going to be, is going to be one to the things of God by the way that we handle it. We can't wait for the next generation. If we want to see things happen now, then we've got to handle it correctly. And the way that that son came to himself is because the father was on his face day and night for him. He took all his money. He left with an attitude. He went and did his own thing. He entered into a time and a season of famine where like nothing worked. All kinds of stuff came against him. And in the midst of that, he came to himself. How many people do you know that go through all kinds of stuff that he's talking about right here, and they never get any better? Why? Because nobody is standing in the gap for them. Nobody's praying for them. You know what the church's MO has been in days past? When somebody has done something wrong or they leave you know, they think more highly of themselves. They've just been hanging around for years. They've been a part of the church. They're not really serving. They're kind of degressing in the church. They're backing up. They're backing their way out a little at a time and all kinds of things. You know what the church's position in most, most times like that is that these are bad people. Maybe they've done bad things. Maybe they've said things. Maybe they've cursed people maybe they've cursed the leadership of the church and said all kinds of ugly things and all that but they're still created in the image of God and they're still God's people and we have to be discerning people in how to deal with situations like this but how do people in this category right here how do they come back to the fold how do they come to themselves and make a choice that, you know what, where I was, man, I had it good. Where I was, things were right. What was I thinking leaving that place? What was I thinking leaving that connection and where, where I was and where I needed to be? What was I thinking? How did they come to themselves? Because people prayed. I just ask you today, people that you've known that have left church life and done things stupid and gone their merry way and thought more highly of themselves than they should and 
and, and maybe out there you watch them hit times of famine and things not work out in their life because it happens. You know, the, the deal is everybody, everybody's called by God. God places human beings in certain congregations of people. He places you there. And when He places you there, it's your responsibility to get planted there and do what it takes to get planted in the house. And when you uproot from that place and God didn't lead you out of that place, there's times when it can seem, because you don't have the responsibilities of the house, it can seem like a weight is lifted off of you. Because there's a, there's a lot of responsibility to be connected. How many know there's a lot of responsibility in marriage? Everybody go ahead and raise their hand on that one. <clears throat> there's a lot of responsibility in marriage. How many know there's a lot of responsibility in family? Man, there's a lot of responsibility in family. Well, this is the family of God, and there's lots of responsibility here. And if you're out from underneath it, and you think you know better, and you think... You, you remember my Dennis Rodman story? How many know who Dennis Rodman is? Played for the San Antonio Spurs basketball player. Played for the Spurs, and he had won two championships with the Detroit Pistons. And then he began to really think that he was all that. And he came to the Spurs, and they were, they were on course for a championship. This was, before, this, was TD, this was before Tim Duncan. This was two years before Tim Duncan. And he thought they, they, were, they were on course to win the championship. And all of a sudden... He didn't get treated the way he wanted to be treated and didn't get enough of this, that, or the other. And so he just kind of started whining and crying on the sidelines and the bench. And I'm not talking bad about him as a person. I'm just telling you what I saw and what, what the rest of the coaching staff wrote down and talked about. And I could see it real clearly. He'd go sit at the end of the bench and, and moan and groan and complain about everything not being exactly the way he wanted so he got things really stirred up, and they didn't win the championship that year. They went, to the sem they went to the third round and got beat by the Houston Rockets. And Dennis Rodman left the next year and never did, never did one thing. Not one thing. And people that are planted in the house that uproot from the house, when they uproot, it might seem like things will change, but when you're planted, when you have revelation of God, and you turn from that and you uproot from where God had you in a wrong way, it's one thing to be sent, but it's another thing to uproot where you're planted. In most cases, if you're going to walk, if you're going to walk in the church and an understanding of church life and kingdom life, in most cases, if you uproot, you'll never really do anything. A lot of people may disagree with me about that, but that's how serious I take church life. And over the last few years, God's really revealed and shown me that and how important it is to pray for people that get deceived and that uproot and that think they don't need that or think they can just jump around and do whatever it is that they want to do.
Those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts. And the courts represent everything else but the house. You want to flourish in business? Be planted in the house. Not just in any house, but be planted where God places you. People come into this church to hear, you know, I'm not, the first day someone comes and says, well, this is where I'm supposed to be. Well, I'm, I'm encouraged by that, but I'm not overdone by it because they need some time to make sure that it's right for them. But then when someone knows that it's right, then you can get planted. And when you know and you had enough time to understand that and get it in your heart and you get planted in the house, then the body has to work together to oversee each other. I'm overseeing you. I'm preaching a word like this that maybe other places wouldn't preach a word like this. But I'm going to preach it because I have a responsibility to help you, help you to oversee your soul and make right decisions in your life and not make bad decisions and get off. We want to stay in line. But those who are planted in the house will flourish in everything else that they do. It's, just a, it's a biblical principle and it works. But the enemies worked overtime to make people believe that that's not true. And in this story right here, one of the things I really like about what's said here is that when he came to himself, what did he do? He repented and did what? Recommitted. <laughs> Reconnected. He repented and reconnected to Father's house. But I'm telling you today, telling you today, that guy didn't repent and come to himself on his own. People were praying. People were believing. There's times when we go along in the Christian walk and you hear a message like this and God is saying to you that he wants you to realize that this is part of your responsibility as a Christian to help people not stray because he's building his church and God wants them a part of his church. To be actively aware of unsaved people and doing your part sowing into their lives so that the one sows and one waters and God brings the increase. The day of a person's salvation is not just the first day necessarily that you've come in contact with them. But you might be planting, or you might be watering someone else's seed in another person's life. So just be actively busy planting and watering, planting and watering in people's lives. But then also, when you hear a message like this, to be challenged, to pray for people that you know that are offended with the church, that are hurt, because all they're doing is causing their life to implode. They can't, they, they can't release into what and bloom into what God created them to be. You know what I've realized after 27 years of pastoring? That so many of the people in the church don't believe this. And they underestimate the importance of their connection to the local church. I'll just tell you this right now. If I was you, 
I wouldn't read anything on the internet about church. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm telling you, the internet is full of all kinds of critical stuff about the church. And you know what? Everybody sitting in here, if you've been around here for more than three days, you could find something critical about this place. Something's happened, somebody's done something, somebody said something, all this or what. I mean, you know what? When you find the perfect place, you better not go there. Hmm? Well, I'm just telling you right now, if you found the perfect place, it isn't because you're there. Six times in the New Testament, it uses the word perfect about a person being developed and matured. That word perfect doesn't mean flawless. That, 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 that word perfect there means developed. And God wants us developed in our lives so that we can take these three stories and be a part of that because that's where your fulfillment comes. That's what you were created for. You were created to help people to not stray. You were, you were created to be investing, sowing, and watering into unsaved people's lives. You were created for that. You, you, you were created to pray for people that are offended, that have gone off and thought more highly of themselves than they should think. You were created for that. And the more you get involved in that, and you, you, maybe you're praying for somebody that you know that was offended and left this place, and then you watch them walk in the back door, You see them come to themselves and you see them repent to God and you see them reconnect. There's something about that. There's something about it. I don't know about you, but when I see those kind of things happen, I want to take credit for it. <laughs> that was because of my prayers. I prayed and you came back. Or whatever. Because you get excited. But you know what? Just keep doing it. And keep doing it. And you know what helps me in a message when I hear something like this? I just first off ask myself, how many people have I been praying for that I know that could be offended? How many straying people in their soul, in their thinking, in their attitude, in their actions and reactions to certain things that I've noticed or seen, how many people like that do I just ignore? I'll just tell you right now, in most cases, unless you're in an authoritative position or something like that, in most cases, God calls us to pray for people that their attitudes and their actions change. So you're not really called to go around and, you know, tell everybody what they need to do. That's the Holy Spirit's job. That's any, any time that we have to tell people, it's kind of like at the end. It's when, it's when they're not getting it and, and they're not hearing it. And, and a word in season will bring real health and healing to that person's life when that, when that has to come. And sometimes people get offended with those kind of words or those kind of sayings, but it's all right. See, but, but we're not quick to be judgmental over another person. We're quick to speak into their lives as a result of the fact that we're praying for them. If you're not praying for people that have issues or there's things going on in their life, if you're not praying for people, you're missing it.
One of the things, and I just, I wrote these few words down. If we don't do what I'm talking about, if, we don't, if we're not practicing dealing with straying people, we're not practicing sowing seed and watering seed into lost people's lives. And if we're not learning how to pray for people that have even done us wrong, even said things or done things in a wrong way, if we're not learning how to do it, you know what we become? We become like the oldest son. And you know what the oldest son was doing? Well, bless God, I was keeping the laws, doing everything right. That's what he said. I promise you he didn't do everything right. I'm doing everything right. And you, you're throwing a party and fatted calf for, for, the, for, the, for the wayward son, the piece of trash that ran off and did all this kind of stuff. I mean, he had bitterness in his heart. I wrote down, I wrote down five things that this guy had. Because he had no passion for what he was doing. There was no passion. It's like, you know, I wanted to be an architect, and here I am just holding down the fort. Huh? It was like this was father and sons. And the youngest son left, so the oldest son had to hang around. Mad, bitter, and frustrated. So he had no passion for the house. He had no passion for the house. And what happened was... He became a complainer, a deceiver, and a manipulator. And when we're not busy with the big three, those who stray, those who aren't saved, and those who have gone wayward, when we're not busy praying and believing for their lives, the tendency is we become like the eldest son, a complainer, a deceiver, and a manipulator. And that's what those are the kind of things that go on and can go on within the church as a result of that attitude not being right. See, it all goes back to you and I. In life and being a part of the kingdom of God and what God is building in His church, it all goes back to you and I. What are you going to do with it? That's my challenge with you today. What, what are you doing today to advance the kingdom of God by sowing and practicing on the different people associated with these three stories? I've been on this passage probably for 10 months now. Just been studying it and looking at it and asking God to continue to reveal to me about the church because... You know, the season that we're in right now, we're in a season of focusing on lost. We're in a season, uh, on the 25th of October, we're having our first Friends Day here at Gates, where you invite somebody that's a friend of yours, or somebody that you've talked to, or somebody you've been sowing into their life and doing what you need, you know, doing certain things that, that are, are, relate to these three stories right here been challenging you about being aware of people other than yourself. Where, where, we get, where we get wired and messed up in our lives is when we're, we go inward and we're just thinking about ourselves instead of thinking about what God wants us to be aware of. God wants you and I aware of people. 
And the more we do that, the more fulfilled we become. And the more, the more things that happen for us, greater favor works on our behalf. Opportunities come our way. Suddenlies begin to manifest. When you're not thinking about things you want to see happen in your own life, and you're thinking about the good of other people, things begin to manifest. That doesn't mean you don't have goals. That doesn't mean you don't set certain things up the way you want to see these things accomplished in your life. Those things are important. But that's not where we spend all of our time. God created us to spend time thinking about other people. And on the 25th of October, I've challenged everybody in the house to bring someone. Someone. It's going to be a special day. We're going to have gifts and little prizes and do do some, some, some fun things on that day. But everybody's challenged to bring one person. One of the reasons we've never had a friend's day where if everybody brought somebody, there'd be double the people sitting in here today than there would be otherwise. And my, my mindset for a long time was, you know, it's not just about making the church bigger and filling it up with people. It's not just about that. It's about making sure what I was talking to you today, that people get discipled. But if we have double the people in here on the 25th, and from the 25th on, it helps you to become more aware of why people need to be here because we have something good to give them, then people's lives will be changed. Then they get connected and they get part of connect groups and they develop relationships and they get part of book clubs and things that we have going on. And, and, and in the future, as, as more things are added to what we're doing and they're a part of that, their lives begin to be changed, their minds are renewed. And then what, what does that mean? That means that you're, you, us, we're doing our part and making disciples so that God can build His church. God can place His church. He can, he can minister life through His church. He can, people can lay hands on the sick and the sick recover. This thing happens and that thing happens. Things happen and manifest. Why? Because we're a part of what He's building. But I'm telling you right now, we're joint heirs with Jesus. Jesus will not accomplish things if you choose to be stiff-necked and not do your part. It, that's why the church has gone 2,000 plus years. The church will go another 2,000 years. I don't care how many prophecies you hear and people saying that the end of time is near and coming and Jesus is coming back in 1988. 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 88. And then it was 92 and 94. And it was 98. And then it was the year 2000 for sure. And then, and then it was, you know, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12. And now it's 15. I know one thing. Jesus is coming back. But he's coming back for a people that have the devil under their feet, right? And, and he's coming back for a people that are really about people. And, and that's all he's ever wanted. He doesn't desire that one perish, but all come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know how many people are being saved on planet Earth? Every day, low end, 60,000 people a day are being born again. I'm telling you what, the church has taken over. See, but our part is, okay, the organized church has taken over, 
But our part is to make sure that the real church is being built. I'm not talking about, you know, one congregation over here or that congregation. I'm talking about the real church inside of these congregations being built because they're being discipled. Their minds are being renewed. They understand this. This becomes final authority to settle everything. And they don't run to the world and the wisdom of the world. But we draw wisdom and revelation out of this. When Peter jumped up and said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, after he said that, well, you know, there's a bunch of them that say that, and there's a bunch of that, you know, the Baptists over there say that, and the Methodists are saying this, and this bunch says this, and this denomination, and the Muslims are saying this, and, but what do you say? Right? And when we say it out of our heart, individually, then we'll help the strayers, and the lost, and those who have gone out there, and we're going to pray them all to the revelational knowledge of Jesus Christ. And you know what happens? It rids your heart of bitterness and deception and complaining and competition and manipulation and all those kind of things. Your heart gets rid of that. Well, Pastor, are you saying that I operate that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometime or another, you're going to be a manipulator and a deceiver out of fear. Sometime or another, everybody does it or has little, or the tendencies of it. Why? Because of fear. Because see, where we don't trust God, we're in self-preservation. I have to do it myself because I'm not sure that God will come through for me. And if God won't come through for me, and this person's going to take advantage of me, then i got to protect myself. So everybody's been there. Everybody's been there. Everybody's dealing with something. Everybody will deal with something at one time or another. We're all in the same boat. So let's just get good at what we're doing. Amen? Let's make disciples. Let's love people. Let's love God. And let's don't judge the next person with unrenewed stuff in ourselves. Let's deal with ourselves so we can love the next person, pray for the next person, believe God for the next person, and see the kingdom of God come together. I'm just telling you right now, it will come together. The end times are here, potentially, but God's after the fact that you and I are in faith and believing God, so when He ushers in, when the second coming of Jesus is ushered in, that you and I are in faith like we're here for another 2,000 years. Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back. Father does, and that's it. So if Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back, then I just need to be busy with an expectation that he's coming back. You see signs of the times and things are going on? Yeah, okay, there's stuff going on. There's been stuff going on for years and years, but there's been fulfillment of certain scripture and stuff's happening. But I'm telling you, if we don't get this thing right with Jesus under our feet, it'll go another 2,000. So let's get it right and realize we have a part to play in this thing being ushered in. If not, then he'd have just come back in the first 30 days or the first 30 years. Or whenever. You and I play a part. And I'm, 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 I choose to be busy about my part. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Father, we thank you today.